Hey folks, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the MedTech Talk podcast. Our guest today is Todd Berg, the new CEO of a very cool company called Medivention. We've talked about Medivention in the past. We had its previous CEO, its prior CEO, Kevin Hikes, on the podcast. Kevin, of course, was also co-chair of the MedTech conference for the past two years. Kevin, after last year's conference, uh, took a position to CEO role at a uh, later stage company, Relevant, and uh, opened up a opportunity for Todd to join. And Todd comes to Medivention from J&J, which had acquired his company, Torax Medical, last year. And uh, Todd is a, a startup guy, and we'll get into, into that into this podcast. And he's uh, found a great position at Medivention. It's great for many reasons. Uh, the company's metabolic neuromodulation therapy is really uh, a novel way of treating a, a huge problem, diabetes. And uh, basically, it, it, they hope to modulate the sympathetic nervous system to lower blood glucose levels. So that's, uh, that's pretty fascinating. The company raised just recently, just at the same time it announced the, uh, the appointment of Todd, it raised $65 million for Series C. And that round was led by NEA. And the partner in charge of that investment was Justin Klein, another co-chair or former co-chair of the MedTech conference. So the circle just keeps getting larger. So we talked today with Todd about his uh, path to MedTech, how he's uh, had a successful career in being companies that have been acquired. (laughs) And we'll go over that in the podcast. We'll also ask his advice about fundraising and reimbursement. He went through the whole gamut with uh, Torax Medical raising over $100 million for that company, getting the reimbursement, the FDA approval, the whole bit. So Todd is bringing a great deal of knowledge and experience to Medivention, and we look forward to uh, following its progress. Before we get into this conversation, I did want to remind you that the MedTech Conference is happening on May 31st in Minneapolis. You have until January 31st to uh, register at our lowest rate, which is $995. So if you are a regular attendee of the MedTech Conference and you enjoy it every year, I guarantee you, you will enjoy it this year. I've been working with our co-chairs, Leslie Trigg and Stacey Enzing Singh on developing a, uh, a great agenda, working with our advisory board as well. We'll be uh, announcing some details in the coming weeks, but uh, if you want to make sure you get the lowest rate, again, you should uh, register by January 31st. You'll get to attend for $995. Now let's get into this conversation with Todd Berg of Medivention. Well, Todd Berg, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Tom. I normally like to uh, start these conversations asking people how they got into medtech, but you got a, an engineering degree at the University of Minnesota. So was there ever a chance you weren't going to get into medtech? Did you have any other plans with that? You know, I, I did I did not, but interesting enough, my, my first engineering job was at uh, 3M, and 3M in, in the Minnesota here is kind of the go-to company where you spend your, your life if you get a job there. Um, both my parents worked there and, and uh, uncles and even grandparents. And so uh, I was there about a year and I felt like my whole life was preordained professionally. And, and I had always wanted to go into healthcare. And I told uh, my family, I'm, I'm leaving 3M. I'm going to a company called SciMed Life Systems uh, for, you know, early angioplasty companies. And of course, everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it was, it was one of those things where the, 
being able to really bring that engineering and that interest in healthcare together for me was always what I wanted to do. And the rest is history. So I'm, I'm glad I did it. I hope it, it didn't ruin a Thanksgiving dinner with the family or anything like that. No, no fisticuffs or arguments. Every time I leave a company, my dad is uh, nervous. Why am I leaving? <laughs> it seems like you have a good thing. It's just a different generation where you start at a company and you stay with it. So it's, uh, He's starting to believe in me a little bit at this point. <laughs> I've had similar conversations with my parents. Uh, that's funny. So, well, let's get into that. I mean, you do have a, a great track record. You mentioned you went to, to SciMed, and we can talk a bit about that stint, but uh, just looking at your record, you went from SciMed, that was acquired by Boston Scientific Vascular Sciences, that was acquired by St. Jude. You joined Torex, that was acquired by Ethicon. Now you're the CEO of Metavention. So you've got uh, you've got the golden touch, I think, as far as uh, acquisitions go. Uh, yeah, you know, nothing's been easy, uh, but <laughs> but so so far so good. And you know, the each one is its own journey and and own experience. But you know, you uh, you work hard to make them successful. And I think um, you know sometimes people go into companies with their fingers crossed, hoping it works out. I like to. You know, when I take a job or when I'm hiring someone, you have to go in thinking it's going to work because you're going to make it work. And uh, so, so far, so good. So let's talk about the uh, the move from St. Jude to Torax. You, you left to become CEO of, of that company. Uh, what was that uh, transition like? How was the opportunity presented to you? Uh, because you were at St. Jude, you were in charge of, I think, new technology. So I don't know if this was something you came upon in your and you work at St. Jude, or how did this all come together? Yeah, so uh, I, I like to say I, I was acquired by St. Jude. I didn't go there my, of my free will. <laughs> uh, and it's a great company, but uh, we were acquired, uh, St. Jude acquired Vascular Science, which was a surgical and anastomotic device company. Uh, and I had a contract per that acquisition for four years. And I was trying to, uh, you know, be in good stewardship of that contract and find a way that I could uh, contribute while at St. Jude. And I actually went to uh, Dan Starks at the time, who was the CEO, and said, look, you know, you're spending a lot of money on internal development. Uh, you got smart people here. you got great technology, but it doesn't yield that much. You know, why are these startup companies able to do things you can't? Uh, and it's it's really culture and it's really process. Let me develop that process uh, here at St. Jude, and so I was able to kind of get my own building and it form this new technology group. And concurrent with that, I was, uh, you know, with vascular science, I, I was you know kind of the number two. I I hired all the engineers. We developed you know some pretty exciting technology. And I realized that in the acquisition, I was on the wrong side of the equation and the founder uh, was on the right side of the equation. I said, well, I'm going to be a founder. And uh, and so I I was looking for for big diseases and reflux disease uh, was very attractive to me. And and, you know, the essence of the Torax story is that I, I wanted to change the order of things. So I wanted to go into a, a big chronic disease market like GERD, uh, I want to, you know, tip it upside down, shake it all out and reorganize it in a way that made sense to me. And in this case, you know, reflux disease primarily treated as a acid disease has nothing to do with acid. It has everything to do with a, a barrier, a mechanical barrier defect. And 
uh, I felt like if we could mechanically model that barrier effect with the device, you could change the course of the disease. And that, that was the founding uh, concept for, for Torax. And, um, you know, and 15 years later, uh, it is changing the course of, of reflux disease. And it was, you know, a great journey, but it was, uh, you know, we did everything from a blank sheet of paper to, you know, PMA, FDA panel, CPT code, insurance coverage to full commercialization. So it was the whole gamut of what you can do with medical innovation and a great experience. Uh, but then we sold it to Ethicon and that, that ended that uh, chapter for me. So what was the origin of the, the Lynx device? How did, uh, how did that, you come up with that concept or how was that concept developed? I should say. You know, so it was interesting that, uh, in my view, and I was a, you know, back then, uh, Tom, I, you know, I was, um, maybe a, you know, I was just really bullish. I felt like, uh, you know, anything that needed to be solved clinically, we'll just do it. And of course we'll get funded. And of course, everyone will, will love what we're doing, you know, and, um, and, and I miss that attitude. I don't have that anymore, but, you know, allowed me to do things that I maybe couldn't do today. And, uh, I looked at reflux disease and funded it on the problem, not the solution. I, I, I was always uncomfortable with technology companies starting uh, based on technology because, you know, you don't know enough about the problem yet. And as you get into it, you're going to learn things, but you're going to be obligated to stay with your technology rather than, you know, be driven by the problem. And so I, I found an investor, uh, uh, Sanderling Ventures uh, on, on San Francisco and Dr. Tim Mills and he and I met and we immediately had this vision for we could change course of the disease and we could somehow augment the sphincter mechanically. Now we didn't know how we were going to do that uh, but we knew if we could this could be a, a, an incredible uh, you know opportunity and so we funded the company on this problem and you know, as 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 the the company evolved, they quickly you know we brought some really talented engineers in, and you know came up with this concept of magnetic augmentation because you know magnets may seem gimmicky, but they're really beautifully intended for this purpose. They don't wear out, so they're their own energy source. They're really precise based on their mass. We could provide the appropriate amount of augmentation. Um, and, and they go away with displacement. So when a patient swallows, they displace these magnets. There's no force that can swallow easily. When that swallow pressure is gone, returns to its closed state and augments that sphincter. So it was really, in a, in a very simple, elegant way, uh, adapted to this anatomy. And, you know, the rest is, you know, developing that product and optimizing it and doing the clinical trials and everything that came uh, subsequent to that. But the the idea started with the problem and, and then, you know, in the first year it was really, you know, gifted engineers that figured out this exact solution. I, lo- I love simple devices like that or devices that at least when you see them, it makes perfect sense and, and as to why they work. Did going into it, when you finally settled on an idea, did it seem like this was a device that you'd be able to uh, get clinical, uh, excuse me, a regulatory approval, clinical proof and regulatory approval of quickly? Uh, did it take longer than you uh, initially thought? What was the journey like? You know, it's, it's um, I guess, two things. I always say if you can't put it in the palm of your hands, uh, it's not simple enough. And whether, whatever that 
concept is because simple things are hard. Complex things in medicine, you just can't do. So distilling something down, it has to feel simple. You have to be able in your own mind kind of envision, as you say, you know, the regulatory and clinical and in, in, in commercial success, even at the beginning, because you don't want to start something because once you start it, it's, you know, it's 10 years to get through that. It, you know, and the second thing I would say is if we had to start that whole project over today or ex medical, it would still take the same amount of time. It, we didn't make any, uh, we had no false starts. We didn't have to redo anything, but you have to do a feasibility trial and you have to go to the FDA and then you have to do a pivotal trial and then you have to do two year follow up and you got to go get a code and you got to get insurance coverage. And there's just, that's just how long for, for a truly novel disruptive innovation in, in our, in our medical industry, that's how long it takes from, uh, you know, concept to commercial success. It's going to be 10 to 15 years. And no matter what your business plan says at the beginning, it's going to be, it's going to take that kind of effort. And did you see yourself being CEO the entire time from, from the, from day one, literally to, to acquisition, because there's at different stages, you require different skill sets. Yeah. That's a, a, a big and important question. You know, I actually start, I was on the board for the first two years and then joined the, as CEO in, in, as the, uh, for the series B and I joined Tom thinking a uh, top, I'm going to be there two years. It was the company was having some uh, technical challenges, and I thought I'll come in see if I could figure this out. But you know, I got a hundred other things I want to do, and I'm going to, you know, figure this out, and move on to them. And you know, did not anticipate uh, being there through that process. And you know, boards were very, the board was very supportive. We you know we have this anytime you keep a board together for for 15 years and investors together. Uh, you know, there obviously there there's a confidence in what the company is doing and its leadership. But you know, when we got through the the the, reg, the development regulatory, you know, we got FDA approval. You know, we got the panel meeting. There was certainly pressure to bring in a commercial CEO, and uh, and I was open to it. But but the, I felt like the market discipline to be successful uh, wasn't going to be. You're not going to bring in a CEO who's going to be able to do that effectively as at least in my objective view as, as I could. And, uh, you know, what, you know, I, I, I'll be honest with you. There's, there's always, uh, you know, with being an engineering background, you need a commercial guy to do that. I, I, I reject that hypothesis. I think that's often the case, but it's, it's not exclusively the case. And engineers I think can be uh, better suited for, commercialization and market development when uh, there is a lot of uh, market development discipline required uh, when there is, you know, we're putting an implant in someone's body. It's a serious business. This is a very novel technology. There was a lot of things, a lot of details that if they weren't managed sufficiently could get the company in, in trouble. And, uh, you know, so I stayed with it and I wanted to show the world that hey, I could do the commercial uh, part as well. And I'm, I'm excited about every part of that company, but the, the commercial part is, is probably, you know, the most exciting at, at the end of the day, you know, having someone, you know, buy something, you know, it sounds simple, but they, they send you a check for something you, you know, your company developed and, and when they use it, they, they buy it again. Uh, 
And that's an incredible validation. I mean, that's really the ultimate validation other than an acquisition. And creating that uh, impact in the marketplace was a really, uh, for me, a very exciting time uh, professionally and, and, and for the company. Um, so I did plan on it, but I, but I ended up living through the full journey and, and, and thought, well, you know, who gets to take a company from, you know, start to finish these days. And uh, I just wanted to finish it. <laughs> Do you think that's, I was going to, I was actually going to ask that question. If you, if you enjoyed one part of the journey more than the other, and it sounds like you enjoyed the entire thing. Do you think that there, there's often said that there are early stage CEOs. And then as you said, commercial stage CEOs, is that necessarily true? Uh, does, are the skill sets really that different or is it just a matter of finding someone who is committed to a project or a product a hundred percent all the way through? I think it's a combination. I mean, honestly, there's, there's, um, you know, it depends on the person and, and, uh, you know, it's usually a combination of things. You know, sometimes founders get a bad rap, for example, but you know, they have tremendous passion and often incredible depth of knowledge, but they, they're that often they lose objectivity. And so, you know, it's, you need diversity of thought. Sometimes the board augments, you know, a CEO uh, that maybe is, uh, doesn't have the full package, but um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not a formulaic person. I think every situation uh, defines what the need is. And, uh, but, you know, look, I, I you know, I'll, I'm, I'm an advocate for, for, for technical people. I think their capacity to solve problems and attention to detail and precision in, in today's market, I think is a huge advantage because, uh, it's a lot more complex than it used to be. And, you know, you, you used to be, you could kind of have a great, great idea and the, the red carpet medical community, roll out a red carpet and you blow and go, it does not work that way anymore. And uh, understanding all the stakeholders intimately and all these compliance and regulatory details and, you know, capital utilization, efficient capital utilization. These are all things that I think, uh, you know, technical people have um, some advantages uh, over. Let's take a quick break from this conversation with Todd Berg. At the top of the podcast, I told you we'd be releasing details about the agenda in the coming weeks. And we will be doing that. So keep an eye on your inbox and your social media channels. But I can tell you right now what companies we will have on stage. Representatives from the following will be on stage. Medtronic, Intersect ENT, GE Ventures, Exact Sciences, Wright Medical, T. Rowe Price, Perceptive Advisors, Shockwave. We're confirming more every day. So we hope you'll join us on May 31st in Minneapolis. If you're one of our loyal attendees and you know you're going to be there, should register now before January 31st. You'll be able to attend for only $995. That's a uh, considerable savings off the final price of $1,495. So join us on May 31st and register before January 31st to get that huge savings. Now let's get back into this conversation with Todd Berg. Well, let's let's get into uh, into Medavention. You've you've joined this company. This is a is a company that uh, I would still say is in the early stages. It's got some some. You can give us some details on this, but you've got some early uh, uh, data that is supportive of, of the technology. But tell us first how you found your way to to Medavention. You know, uh, 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 Kirk at uh, at Bursant, um is my first contact with, with Metavention. And, 
you know, I was in a transition mode at, 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 uh, Ethicon, um, and they were great. Uh, but I, but I, I knew that was coming to an end. And so I was, I was looking and, um, had a conversation with, with Kirk and, and I, you know, I was looking at a lot of different things, Tom, and, and, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And my, my thesis was I just came off this incredible journey at Torax and, you know, change of course of a disease. I, I was looking for something of that level. Again, it's hard to go from that to something that's incremental. And, uh, and I didn't know what that was. So I was looking for something big and that, you know, talking to, to Kirk, you know, he really uh, got me excited about the investors, uh, the quality of the investors involved, uh, and and diabetes. You know, so diabetes is is it's like its own economy, and you know what, there, there's probably no greater market opportunity in devices than 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 diabetes, and so all these things uh, excited me, uh, and including. To be honest, the opportunity to come in not as a founder, but as a CEO, and that's a very different dynamic, and one that uh, you know I gave a lot of thought to. But you know, you you're you come in with a really a different obligation, and again, it, you're just uh, you come in with a very different level of objectivity, and uh, and I'm really enjoying it. It's just it's not better or worse, but it's a very different feel, and. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see if I can uh, take a very complex disease and again, you know, distill it down into something that is simple and is safe and can be, you know, adaptable in a kind of um, in a standard fashion and really impact this disease in a material way. So it's a it's a big um, effort needed here, but you know that's that's you know also what drew me into it. What is that, that process like? Because that's a great point. Once you come in as a CEO, pretty much anything that happens from there at that point on belongs to you. So I'm sure you want to kind of verify uh, your, you want to be sure of your feelings, of your understandings of the company, of the technology. What is that, uh, what is that process like? Is it just like, is it, is it talking with uh, having intense conversations with everyone in the, in the, in the, in the company? Is it, uh, are you going over patents? How, how deep do you sort of dive? Yeah, it's all the above. And, you know, it's, you, you learn what you can and, and, you know, you can't, if you look for something perfect, you'll never find it. Right. So it's kind of like looking at a home and you have certain criteria that's required and certain things you just have to have blind faith in and, and believe in yourself and in the people that are involved. And, uh, um, you know, Kevin Hikes was the previous, uh, CEO, uh, and he's been great, you know, to be able to connect, you know, with him and understand, you know, his transition and journey with the company and where it is. And that gave me, you know, great comfort, but I'm still living into that, uh, Tom, and, you know, and still discovering things, you know, as much due diligence as I did, um, I am learning a lot just in the, in the last two, my, you know, my first two weeks, you know, and, and not, not that anything is bad, but it's, it's that, uh, really unique discovery process because it's not like you're creating something that didn't exist. It exists and you're discovering it after it's already started. And uh, uh, it's fun. It's fun to figure out and, and I'm living it, you know, so I can answer that question better maybe a year from now uh, than I can today. But right now I'm just living into it and trying to 
uh, you know, get get organized in a way that reflects the assets. You know, kind of take an inventory of the company, the assets that are there, which are great, uh, and blending that with my culture and my style and what I'm looking for. And uh, it's really a great opportunity to kind of do that at this at this stage. Sure. And, and you're coming in just as the company announced uh, closing on a $65 million Series C. Uh, how much? Uh, how much? Inv- how involved were you in uh, in the fundraising? It doesn't. It sounds like it might have been almost done by the time you uh, you joined. Yeah, you know, and, and and this is another wonderful thing. Gee, it's funded. This how this is easy. Right? So, <laughs> Congratulations! Great fundraising there, Todd. Yeah, yeah, done. No, so the, the existing you know founder and CEO had had put a lot of this in place. Um, uh, and, and one of the things that gave me, you know, to be completely transparent confidence in this is one of the lead investor for Torax, Sanderling, uh, ended up filling out the, uh, the term sheet, the syndicate. And so, uh, with knowledge that I would be coming over. And so, you know, the existing investors of Versant NEA was leading the round. And then bringing in a, a an investor who I was familiar with and and knew uh, they were comfortable with disruptive type innovation. It was really uh, it was great. But the lion's share of this was completely done. I came in uh, really conditional on on that financing closing, and so um, a really unique situation in that that was in place without me. And it gives you a lot of, uh, a lot of ammunition going forward. What are the, the plans uh, for the, for the funds and, and what do the next uh, couple of years look like for Medivention? Yeah, I think the, uh, you know, the way Medivention was set up uh, early on was to be, you know, very appropriately, very, very capital efficient uh, and develop intellectual property, you know, kind of build that, that, procedural foundation of, you know, kind of proof of concept. And, you know, now it's, it's graduated into, okay, we, we need to bring in uh, less virtual and really bring in core competencies to do, to optimize the development, you know, do the, um, the more advanced clinical trials. And so uh, right now it's bringing in really uh, building out the development team bringing in core competencies in terms of what this development team can do um, and bringing in a clinical reg team and, and really optimizing this, this treatment for, um, you know, for the next stage of clinical trials. So it's building an executive team, uh, building and really expanding the development team and, and really enabling the company to have, Kind of built-in core competency, so we can execute on these things more efficiently uh, than than has been needed uh, today. Do you have a, a sense of when the next uh, set of trials will will be will will begin? In in what level are you in testing? Yeah, so a phase one trial was done, which was really uh, you know proof safety, patient tolerability, uh, understand the procedural dynamics. And, and start what I would call optimization of dosimetry. You know, what is the right dose? What is the right patient selection? Uh, we want to uh, standardize that with, this, uh, with, with development. So I think there, the serious clinical trials will start in uh, 2019. I think there's an opportunity that we will continue to do clinical trials in 2018 to continue that optimization. Uh, but I would say that it's 80%, you know, 
kind of refine the uh, the technology, and twenty percent, you know, really start to um, prepare clinically for what would be ultimately a pivotal trial, uh, which I think would, you know, we're looking at more, uh, you know, beyond two thousand eighteen. Terrific. Well, it's a it's a, an exciting company. We've had Kevin on the on the podcast, and of course, he was co chair of our MedTech conference for for two years. So he's uh, he's a, a great friend friend to uh, to the conference and to the podcast. So it's it's nice that he's doing what he wants to do at Medavention and that uh, I'm sorry at um, Relievant, and that now you're at Medavention. Yeah, and he's still a friend of Medavention as well. So it it there's good good continuity there. So just to wrap up, I'm just curious, you, you at Torax, you raised, I think, over $100 million from, in venture capital. Um, here, you, you've got $65 million. I know you didn't, you didn't have as, as great a role in raising this money as you did that. But if you're giving advice to folks about, about raising venture capital, are there any tricks to the trade that, that make it easier? Any, any, thing that pe- any things that people should have on a, a to-do list that they should check off if they're, uh, if they're looking to raise capital? Yeah, you know, I, I guess you know it's that's always a question, and there's a lot of different styles that are are, are effective, obviously. But you know, for me, it's always been really uh, have a concise vision, uh, you know, for what it is you're trying to do, and 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 don't blink. You know, it's it's one of those things where if investors sense uncertainty, um, you know, it things fall apart quickly, and now it has to be. Um, your certainty has to be backed up and supported. But I think sometimes I, I, I think people come in with too complex a message, you know, too big of a market. And, you know, the more concise and disciplined you can be on the vision, I think the better. The other thing I, that I really emphasize is, you know, uh, you have to understand the whole constellation of stakeholders that are involved with what it is you're doing. And, and frankly, getting a device to work clinically just get you on the game board, then that's it. And I think a lot of people think, well, this is a great technology. You know, the medical community is going to respond really favorably. And, uh, you know, yes and no. You know, if you don't understand how the FDA, the, the provider, the payer, the physician, societies, what is their value proposition for what you're doing? What is the existing coding? What are the economics to the hospital and to the physician? You know, all these dynamics, if you don't understand them intimately, that often determines success, you know, even more than the technology. And so it's really being able to demonstrate to uh, investors that you have an understanding of these things, not that you have them all figured out, but you're aware of them and you have a plan, I think is very important. And final question: You you mentioned that you uh, it, with Torax you took links through the entire process to commercialization. You did secure a reimbursement for that. Similar question: What is what are your takeaways from the reimbursement process? It wasn't too long ago when you were trying to secure that for links. Uh, are there the lessons that you learned then that you're carrying over today? Yeah, it, reimbursement is is the uh, you know in my view the biggest threat to medical innovation that we're facing. It's certainly not regulatory in my view. And, and, and I say that because, you know, there's a lot of great technologies that have incredible patient impact, uh, and, and high quality studies that aren't getting reimbursed. And, and that's because there's no process for it. And, uh, you know, you can jump up and down all you want. Payers don't want to pay for it. They're not going to pay for it. And, uh, that needs to be, uh, that needs engagement by, you know, 
trade groups and associations to figure out something better than exists today. And, and the way we were able to, to navigate through that was, was, um, you know, incredibly hands-on and burdensome. I mean, we would literally support every single patient who wanted this procedure to appeal. And we built, you know, our, our infrastructure, our, our field infrastructure around reimbursement. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it can be done and it can be done successfully, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. And, you know, I would caution uh, people to be eyes wide open as to what that process is going to look like and be thinking about it, you know, from day one, you know, with your coding and with your type of trials you're doing um, and trying to figure out how to have, make sure you have a good value proposition for, for reimbursement, because that. Um, that's real. And if you're not, if you don't think it's a problem, it's just because you haven't gotten that far yet. Uh, But good news is it's navigable. You can navigate your way through it, but uh, it's, it's a challenge. Do you think this will be, I mean, Medivention is, and this is the final question. Medivention is a truly novel approach. Does that make it, do you anticipate it'll make it more difficult or or easier perhaps to, uh, to get payers on your side? Easier because the economic burden of diabetes is so incredible. And number one, and number two, uh, our, our user being a a cardiologist, interventional cardiologist, I think, um, their, their, uh, history and ability to adopt innovation and, successfully garner reimbursement to be organized around it is superior to many societies. Uh, I think that that's a, frankly, that was a big factor in driving me to uh, medivention is knowing that the interventional cardiology being the call point or, or one of the call points was, and, and, and the favorability that that would have for reimbursement was, was important. Terrific. Well, I appreciate the time. I hope for your your dad's sake, you can hold on to this job for for a couple of years and 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 uh, keep him happy. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Thanks, That's exactly right. Thanks for the time, Todd. We look forward to uh, following this story, and uh, we'll have you back on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Bye now. Well, we'll wrap that up right there. Thank you, Todd Berg, for joining us on the MedTech Talk podcast. Best of luck at Medivention. You've uh, joined a great company. We look forward to tracking your success in the future. MedTech Talk podcast listeners, what can I say? Thank you once again for joining us. This is uh, this is a great vehicle for us. We really enjoy talking MedTech at every opportunity, and we're glad you're there listening. So if you wouldn't mind uh, doing us a few favors, give us a ranking on iTunes if you could. That'll help other folks find the podcast. Tell your friends about the podcast or send it out via LinkedIn and Twitter. Those are always uh, great to see. Please do tag me. I'd love to see it. Finally, do shoot me an email. I am uh, at MedTechTom on Twitter. You can direct message me at Twitter at MedTechTom. Or you can email me at Tom at HealthTheG.com. That is the word health, followed by the letters E-G-Y. HealthTheG is the producer of the MedTech Talk podcast and the MedTech Conference, which is happening on May 31st in Minneapolis. Don't forget to register before January 31st so you can save a boatload of dollars and then we can see you in Minneapolis.